Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. As he went along, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am, in, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him began asking, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus. He made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. Then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, I don't know. How can a sinner do miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? How was it that he opened your eyes? The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one who you said was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we, we don't know. Uh, ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They hurled insults at him. Oh, huh, you're this fellow's disciple. Oh, huh's not in there. <laughs> We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly men who do his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they threw him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. There is, there are some strange things that can happen to you when you encounter the risen Lord. I want to talk about some of those. But first, I want to talk about this question that they ask. Who sinned that this bad thing would happen to this person? Who sinned? Was it the kid, the man, the blind man? Or was it his parents? I would probably be lying if I said I never ask such a question. My guess is you probably ask such a question too. Why do bad things happen to super good people? Why are there some men and women who are just caring and nurturing and loving, but they can't have kids? And then there's other people far less qualified who they seem to do it as if it were their job. What are we to make of those moments where we lose a little one that we love and care about? What are we to do with that? How do we... How do we untangle the mess that's inside of our mind when it comes to the pain that comes into this world? And it doesn't necessarily have to be situations like that. Sometimes it's just our own wiring. And we have a thing that's wrong with us, and we know there's a thing that's wrong with us. And it's been there as long as we can remember, but we can't make it go away. What do you make of those situations? You can only put that question in one place. Why would God let this happen? Is it something I did? Is it something, something I did? Here's the paradox. How is it that Stalin lived? Adolf Hitler. Dahmer. And I know really, really good, sweet people it puts you into that spin cycle of where do you take these questions and the disciples are asking a very very deep philosophical question now this is a part of their religion if there was something wrong with you it probably had something to do with sin that was the belief if you have leprosy oh that's because your soul has leprosy if you're blind, that's because spiritually you're blind. If you're barren, oh, that's got its own implications. And it was just something that was ingrained in their belief system. And it's interesting because the disciples, I can just see them kind of just getting close to Jesus. Hey, hey, Jesus. See this guy. See this guy. What causes that? What causes that? Why would, it, 
Why would a man be born? Why would a man be born blind? Is it something he did? Here was the thought: Is this, did the child somehow sin in the womb, and so God struck it blind? That was a part of it. The other thought was this. Is it something the parents did, and to punish the parents, God struck the child? I would love to say I've never, ever, ever, ever had those thoughts. But sometimes you just can't get away from them. But then Jesus answers this question. Jesus, who, 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 who messed up that this would happen this way? Jesus doesn't cower from the question. Neither. As if it's just some foreign, strange thought. Really? Like that's what you think? Neither. He's not saying neither one of these, the parents or the blind man, have sinned. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the sin did not cause this to happen. Now, while we're on this, we ought to talk about this. There are things that you can do in your life that are a sin that can put you at risk for certain things. Agreed? Drinking and driving, not wearing your seatbelt, you know? There's some things. Want to be a trapeze artist? You don't want to use a net? Okay, whatever. You can put yourself in danger. But that's not the question. The question is, who sinned that caused this man to be born blind? Jesus says, neither. This happened so that the work of God can be displayed in his life. So we need to break for just a second. I need you to go inside for a moment. Think about who you are. Take the tree stand that you wish you were in and put it out of your mind. Take the football game you want to watch, put it out of your mind for just a second. Take the to-do list, all the things you need to get done when you get home, when that guy stops talking up there, you know? Put all that away for just a second. And I want you to think about something. What is the thing that you have? What is your ailment? What is your blindness? What's the thing that emerges when you begin to pray and you say, God, what is the thing that you want to fix in my life? What emerges? Is it a laziness? Is it an unforgiveness? Is it a bitterness? Is it a resentment? Is it an addiction? What is it? It's a fear, an anxiety, a worry, a thing that you have about be, the way you're seen. You want people to see you a certain way and you care about appearances. What is the thing? What would be the thing that God would put his finger on and say, this thing right here is your blindness? My guess is it's one of those things you'd never want to say it out loud. I don't want to say mine out loud. Maybe it's that critical spirit. You see somebody like, you can't stop thinking bad things about them. What's the thing? What's he point to? You've wrestled with it. You've tried to get over it. You've fought it. You've pushed. You've gone through recovery programs, but you can't get it. You can't stop it. You've prayed about it. It just keeps coming back up. Maybe it's just apathy. I just don't care about people. I'm sure that's wrong. Unfortunately, I don't care. 
Can't get past it. It's a little exhausting. Carry a weight like that around, it's a little exhausting. What if that was there for the simple reason that God wants to display his work in you? The Apostle Paul said it like this, I will boast all the more in my weakness. I will boast all the more in my weakness. Listen, I'm going to brag a lot about a lot of stuff in my life. You know what I'm not going to brag about? You wish I'd tell you. I'm not bragging about it. But the Apostle Paul goes on to say, because it is in my weakness that I am made strong. So maybe this is a thing that we need to learn how to confess, a thing we need to learn how to verbalize, a thing we need to learn how to just get past our pride and cough it up and put it out there and say, okay, well, here's me. Because maybe only then does God's work and his power get displayed in our life. God never points to a problem without offering you a solution. He's not critical. He doesn't show up in your life and be like, you know what? You are a terrible gossip. What am I going to do with you? No, 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 no. He offers you a way out of it. Scripture says that. When we are tempted, that he will provide a way out of it. Scripture's on that, on bridling the tongue, and taking captive the thought. He never offers us that. But when he does offer us a solution for the thing that's always tripped us up, this is the hard part. Now it requires obedience. Confess it. Whoa, no. Not gonna confess it. To confess it means that you will see me as weak. And I don't want that. I need you to keep thinking of me as the answer man, not weak. I need you to keep thinking of me as the success story, not just like my dad. I need you to keep thinking of me as the guy who has it together. I don't want you to know the truth. See, obedience is the hard part. Yet even the healing is a little, it lacks a little more dignity than I would hope, really. Jesus steps into your life and he wants to heal you. What are you comfortable with? Can I rub a little bit of this on your face? Uh, could you do it a little cleaner? Could you heal me with maybe not so much weirdness? No. No, 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 I can't. It's a story of Naaman in the Old Testament. The prophet tells him he's got leprosy. And the prophet tells him, listen, go dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan. And the guy says, in the Jordan? <sighs> There's a lot cleaner water sources. The prophet says, uh, go dunk yourself in the Jordan. Oh, he hates it. He hates the idea. Why the Jordan? Why in the dirty, stagnant, moss-infested Jordan? Why? Go dunk yourself in the Jordan. Can't Jesus heal me and maybe not make such a big deal about it? Not like put it in the paper? Without saliva, maybe? 
Sometimes that's the only way. Sometimes that's the only way to get through the pride. Probably why I have such a hard time with it. I'm going to need to get rid of your pride. Okay, let's, let's go with plan B. Let's try something that's not going to chip away at my pride, please. That would be helpful for me. I could hold it together. You could get what you want. I'm a better product. People would like me more. What do you think, Jesus? <laughs> Great. It's just terrible. Not only that, here's the strange part of it. You get a healing like this man, and you have a brand new set of problems. Mm. I know. You would think to yourself, yeah, but he was blind and now he can see. Isn't life better? I'm sure on some levels it is, but there's a whole brand new set of problems once you've been made, once you've been made better, once you've been healed. A whole brand new set of problems. You want me to explain it to you? works this way. Jesus spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he cakes it on this man's eyes and then he says to him, go. He doesn't say, take my hand. He doesn't look at one of his 12 extra disciples and say, want to take this guy to Siloam? He says, go. Let me tell you something. If you've ever experienced the risen Lord, you know that's how he operates. Because he will do something and say, now go fix it, but I don't know how. Go. Ah, I'm pretty scared. I don't know where I'm going. Go on, scurry on down there. So this man begins to ask these questions. Can you point me to the pool of Siloam? Excuse me, excuse me. Can you point me to the pool of Siloam? And he disappears into the crowd. Your heart kind of goes out for this guy, doesn't it? Imagine yourself standing there with the disciples and Jesus just sends him down the road. Stumbling, tripping, falling. Nobody leading the way. He's got to go figure it out himself. What a terrible, strange thing. He gets to the pool of Siloam somehow. He dips his hands into the water. And he puts it, he puts it on, the, on, the encrusted, on the encrusted dust on his face. And he begins to wash away. And then suddenly there's this brand new sensation. He begins to see the red. You know when it's bright outside and you have your eyes closed and you begin to see the blood through your eyelids. He begins to see this and then he begins to squint and kind of flutter, flutter his eyes a little bit. And, but the sun is so bright. This man was born blind. He's never seen. And he rinses it from him and he's got dirt running down his face. Suddenly he can see the light of the world. Jesus Christ heals him and now he can see and he turns, and the scripture says that he goes home, except he doesn't know how to get there. Do you know me? Yeah, yeah, you're the blind guy. Was, was, was the blind guy. Yeah, yeah, you, you, were, you, were, the, you were the blind guy. Yeah, uh, do you know where I live? You don't know where you live? <laughs> I, I was blind, No. Can you point me to my parents? You don't know your parents? Not unless they're talking. There's a whole bunch of people. I wouldn't know who they are. What color is my house? Will you take me there? Brand new set of problems open up because this man can see now. Excuse me, hi, do you know me? Yeah, you're the blind guy. What's the blind guy? I uh, used to sit right over there. Now I'd, I'm not blind anymore and I would like to go home. <laughs> Except they don't know where I live. 
Oh, wow, interesting. See, a lot of things can happen and go wrong, and a brand new set of problems can show up if you ever decide that you want to follow Jesus. Oh, it's a better life, but there are a different set of issues that show up. This story outlines it pretty good. Let me walk you through them. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some said yes. Others said, No, he only looks like him. Do you know what will happen if you get in contact with Jesus Christ? Here's what will happen. You'll be unrecognizable to some people. Some people will not recognize you any longer. Imagine a life to where you go home and you've had this interaction with Jesus and, and husbands, your wife looks at you and goes, what is wrong with you? And you're just like this illuminated, thoughtful, soft, you know that hardened face thing that dudes get, like this thing? Some of you have it on right now. You're like, you know, because you know, they have this scowl, this, like the sun is so bright in here, scowl. And all of a sudden you go home and it's just like, who are you? And the buddies you used to run with, they say to you, hey, dude, you're not the same anymore. You're like, no, I'm the same. I'm, I'm actually better. Yeah, you're actually weirder. You'll be unrecognizable to some people. Some people won't have any idea who you are anymore. It's one of the things that'll happen. There's another thing that will happen. Your story will cause others to ask better questions. You remember the original question, right? Who sinned, this man or his parents? I mean, that's an okay question, but it's kind of a generic question. It's the ones that preachers like me often get tossed. Okay, preacher, if God is real, then why is there so much bad in the world? Do you have an original question? Because honestly, you don't care about that. You like the straw man argument and the fact that we can't answer it. That's why you're holding on to this question. Ask me something original, something that's personal to you. Give me the story. Nah. Nah. That's the original question. But look what happens. Verse 10. How then were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed. Then I could see. Where is this man, they asked, which is funny to ask this blind man. So where is he? Okay, look, I was, whatever. <laughs> whatever. There's so much irony in this passage. It's great. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also ask him how he received his sight. He, le he shortens the story. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed it, now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, or others asked, yeah, but how can a sinful man do miracles? You want to know what will happen if you get a story of you and Jesus? This transformation thing that happens, you come in contact with Jesus. You know what your story is going to do? It's going to cause other people to start asking questions because they've known you. They've known you. And then you don't operate the same way anymore. 
And then we begin to ask questions like, well, you know what? That guy was always a, uh, he was always kind of a rebel rouser. And uh, now he's in church every week. <laughs> That's weird. I wonder what it is about that. Your story will cause better questions in people. They will ask better questions. When the power of God is on display in your life, people will begin to ask more interesting questions, questions they actually care about. God is called the Alpha and the Omega. Here's what it means. It means that he is the author of all the answers. It's a common misconception of Christianity that we are supposed to have all the answers. So Christians get stuck in debates and have these terrible questions asked of them, and they're a human. They wouldn't know the answer. See, God is not just about the answers. He's not just the author of the answers. You know what else he is? He's the author of the questions. And I bet if you would sit down and you would think about it, there would be some part of your life, some question that emerged in your life that would explain why you're here today. What is the question? What am I missing? I drove by on a Sunday and the parking lot was full. What am I missing? I heard the guy that's preaching is a heretic. I kind of want to see for myself. There's some really nice people there. I want to go. You know you can wear a T-shirt and no one will yell at you? We should go there. I'm a little curious about that. There's a question, and somehow that question brings us to him. You see, your story will cause others to ask better questions, more interesting questions, questions they care about. Thus, they will pursue answers that matter to them. There's a third thing that will happen. Verse 19 says it, I mean, verse 18 says it right here. The Jews still did not believe that the man had been born blind and he had received his sight until they sent for his parents. And they said to the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? How did he get well? Mom and dad, well, that is our son. This is true. He was born blind. We do know that, but how he got well or who opened his eyes, you need to ask him. And John says, they said this because they were scared of the Jews, the Jewish leaders. If you make Jesus the Lord of your life, there are some, there are some things that happen that are just kind of sad. See, some people will abandon you. You won't be fun anymore. That's their fear. You won't be interesting anymore, which I would go on the other side. You're far more interesting. If you want to wrestle with a cosmic rabbi from 2,000 years ago, you want to do that on your own time? Now you're a very interesting person to me. You want to go to war with God over certain little issues? I want to have that conversation. That's where I live. That's interesting. But people will abandon you. You have to know it. But I think there's a reason why. There's a passage in Matthew that says this. He who does not confess me before man, I will not confess that I know them in front of my father. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring the sword. I'm going to bring man against his son. I'm going to bring mother against daughter. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, father-in-law against, against son-in-law. 
I'm going to carve the family unit down the middle. If you, if you love your mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your father more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you do not take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Wow, Jesus. It's a little intense. He must not be privy to our Western culture. Family is everything. I hear it all the time. Family is everything. Is Jesus anti-family? No. Jesus is not anti-family. Jared, are you anti-family? No, I'm not anti-family either. But listen, do you know what the family unit was created for? Godly principles to be taught inside of the family. Do you know what for, for, for what reason? Because that is the basis of a good society. Biblical principles inside of a family is the basis for a good society. You know what happens if you do not put biblical principles into a family unit? The family unit turns in on itself. It turns in on itself like cannibals. The family unit was not made to be some pseudo-refuge to where we run and hide and we say these little cliches like, well, blood's thicker than water and, you know, family's the most important thing. Jesus seems to have a completely different idea about the family unit. But I think I know why. And I think you do too. Because families fail. I don't care how good your family is. Families fail. It falls apart. Jesus knows something that I don't think we think about too often, and that's this. The fallen nature of man is selfish and envious and cowardice. And inside of a family, it's no different. Family units do fall apart. And there's a thing in there that he built inside of the system already. See, the family is supposed to replicate its origins, and its origins are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this unity that's there. And it's side of a good family that works on Christian principles and floods it with biblical principles. You can find some of that. It's not 100%, but it's pretty good. It can't just be family is family is family. I mean, because let's be honest, if it wasn't for family, we wouldn't need therapy. <laughs> you would throw therapy out if there was no family. You know that's where that comes from. It's very, very, <laughs> very rare that somebody wanders in. You know, my problem is this, this guy that lives two blocks down. I don't really know him, but it just really bothers me. That's typically not the story. Typically the story is this, can I tell you about my mother? Can I tell you about my, emotional, my emotionless dad? Can I tell you about my brother? Can I tell you about my sister? That's where it comes from. Jesus knows this. He knows this. You begin to follow Jesus, what happens is people will abandon you, but he has created something else that steps in that is better and takes the place. Because, you know, inside of a family, we will enable each other's sins. We will gloss over somebody else's problems. Oh, that's just the way Billy is. Uh, yeah, that's, Billy did something really bad. Oh, that's just Billy. Billy's serving 20. That's just Billy. We'll just gloss right over it. Jesus said, there's another way. There's another thing I put in place. 
what it is is the relationship that you have and, and, and cultivate and develop with somebody else who has Jesus in common with you. Those who have Jesus in common with you, you can connect to in a completely different way than you can your family. They care about what's going on inside your soul. I'm not saying it's not true for family. That can be. But it can't stand on its own. It's another thing that happens. You begin to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And this is pretty beautiful. Your understanding of who Jesus is will deepen. If you encounter Jesus, your understanding of who Jesus is will deepen. You will see Jesus more clearly. You will love him more deeply. You will speak of him more boldly. Look at verse 11. They're questioning the man. How is it that your eyes were open? Verse 11, he says, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. The man called Jesus. Verse 17, they continued to question him further. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. We just went from the man they call to He's a spiritual man. Verse 25. The second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. This is 24. Give glory to God. In other words, own it. Tell the truth. They said, we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know. I was blind and now I see. And we go from being a man to a spiritual man to now he is my healer. He's my healer. Verse 27, they get frustrated. He answered, I've told you this story already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Two. Two. You know like me? Do you want to become his disciple? Just like I just became his disciple? Is that what you want? And of course, they're like, oh, ha, huh. you are, you know. Do you want to become his disciple too? Because now I am a disciple. He is my rabbi. He is my teacher. And then we get to verse 35. Jesus heard that the man had been thrown out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Then he became the Lord. He's a man. And to some of us, that's where he is right now. Maybe to you. He's a man. And he's done good things. And I can get that far. Some of you have taken that next step. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He did a lot of good in the world, and I think he's still doing good now. I haven't put all my eggs in the Jesus basket, but he's a good man. And some of you stand there and you go, look, 
I don't know much about him. Here's what I know. He put me together. I don't know what to make of it all, but he fixed me. And some of you have taken that next step. I'm a disciple. Maybe, maybe, no, maybe I'm not good. Maybe I'm not a good one. He's a good teacher, not a great student, but I'm there. And I'm interested in what he says because it seems everything he says impacts me on some level. But then there's that final step to where Jesus is asking, just like he asked this man, will you make me, will you make me the Lord of your life, the king of this kingdom? And that's the question we have to wrestle with. Even us who've been Christians for decades, have we gone in reverse and said, he's a great teacher, I'm a great student? He's not my Lord. I, I kind of run stuff around here. And maybe what he's calling us back to is this thing of, you know what? He needs to be the king. He calls the shots. What is it that he's after in your life? I don't know where you land on that scale. I don't know if you're at the top. I don't know if you're at the bottom. I don't know where you are. But I know where he wants you to be. Where he wants you to be is in that place to where you lay down your life and you say, okay, look, I give up. I'm going all in on faith. I've seen enough to know. He's calling me to something. And let me tell you what that is. So that he can display his power in your life. But Jared, I feel like maybe he wants to judge me. Listen, he doesn't want to judge you. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to display his power in your life. Yeah, but I feel like maybe I got to clean myself up a little bit before I get there. Uh, maybe, maybe you need to rethink that. You're not real good at cleaning stuff up anyway, you know? You've probably been trying that a while. It hadn't worked. Just come as you are, because that's how he wants you. And he'll do the rest. 